0: As the colors change to fall, the shows just keep getting brighter on Global Voice Broadcasting. Shows about everything that matters to you. From love, living, and life. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it this fall. On Global Voice Broadcasting. Don't miss a second.
1: Imagine going through a relationship with a sociopath turned stalker and eventually finding healing in kink and BDSM, then essentially making a really inspiring career out of it. That is precisely what today's guest has done. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so happy to have Jennifer Elliott on the line with me today. Jennifer is a passionate, uh, person and and coach. She uh, loves revealing the therapeutic awareness building aspects of BDSM. As proprietress of Kink Coaching, kinkcoaching.com, she draws on her experience as a professional dominant and hypnotherapist to help clients meet goals. She also explores BDSM and sexuality as a healing, empowering force through her blog. I love that. Spelunking the psyche and has written a memoir of her experience, which is currently being shopped to publishers. Thank you so much for joining me, Jennifer. How are you doing today?
0: Oh, thank you, August. It's great to be here. I'm doing very well.
1: Wonderful. Uh, before we get into your fantastic work, I would love to hear a bit more about uh, the experience that inspired it. We did a series on uh, dating a sociopath a few months ago, and I was really struck by how the, the women and some men ended up in these relationships, um, part, particularly the ways a lot of them seem to be kind of lured in. How did that relationship start for you?
0: With my sociopathic boyfriend? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it had all the ingredients, I think, that, that uh, we tend to hear about. I was vulnerable. You know, I was in a challenging place in my life. Here was this great guy who had, you know, he kind of swooped in and saved me out of a situation. I ended up hiring him to help me out with this this project that I needed help on, and you know he he had all the the niceties. He was great. He was professional, um, and you know, little did I know on the inside he was working a whole different program um, until you know it, it became apparent over time, a little bit more and more each time, but. You know, in a relationship, you're with somebody that you love and you don't want to distrust them. It was very complicated um, and I sort of needed irrefutable evidence to really see what was going on and when I
1: had that, then it was time to leave, but I wasn't ready before then you mm. know sure, yeah, yeah, it's so interesting that's um what i've heard, and I was in a relationship with with one as well and what you just said was so poignant that you already loved him. And I think that is what a lot of people don't understand. They say, why didn't you just leave? But it's not like you met somebody and all these red flags were waving around in the air. You know, it's that you're mesmerized. They sweep you up and everything seems like perfect. And then gradually, what were some of those red flags looking back that started to crop up?
0: Well, um, he used a bunch of different email uh, addresses and different identities, essentially, to create fictional people and some people that he knew in my real life that I was interacting with. Um, you know, so, for example, he would pretend to be a co-worker whom I was starting to work on a project with and just started to email me these creepy messages and things like that. <laughs> wow. So I... I never would have thought that it was my partner doing that. Um, and it took maybe about 12 different, you know, occurrences where I started. My, my first uh, thought was the world is a crazy place, you know, and he would say, Hey, Jen, these uh, guys out there are pretty, Pretty terrible creatures, you know. You gotta stick with me, and and it'll be okay. <laughs> I wow. mean, he was really, yeah, he was really good. And you know, so it really took for me at that that moment of, you know, even though it was a creepy feeling that I got over time with him, I could never really connect the dots because, you know, again, and yeah, we're working against ourselves there, um, and and it's really tricky. It's really tricky to get away from people who are trying to control you, people that you love. And, uh, you know, I certainly found that was the case, though. Wow. So long story short, yeah, it, I needed to be totally 100% certain that it was time to leave and that it was safe to leave, too. That's the other thing. Absolutely. I think when those red flags, yeah, those, those red flags are flying, you know, and it's, it's a subconscious process. I, you know, I didn't know why I didn't feel safe with him after a while, but I didn't feel safe. Um,
1: That's such an important so, point there because I think we need to so learn to trust our instincts and, you know, because we talk ourselves out of them and say, oh, but I love this person. I shouldn't feel unsafe. You know, what? how did you finally start to trust that?
0: that um you know, there's a great book called uh, The Gift, of Fear by Gavin Goodbecker um but you know yeah it's about that little voice
1: uh, one of my favorite books of all time by the way <laughs> yeah yes, I w- yes, love that book uh, it's so important for everyone to read it especially women but everyone I think
0: yeah yeah and I read it after the, the fact that I needed it. it would have been helpful before I had yeah. anyway um yeah yeah um and I'm sorry. What was your question?
1: So, when did you start to feel like you said you had to really have, you know, definite proof and absolutely know? You, so, you started to feel scared and unsafe, but you weren't sure why. At, what were the kind of triggers or turning points uh, to start to really say, okay, I need to get out of this? Was it a certain experience or was it sort of a gradual unfolding?
0: Yeah, he was, uh, I had just started graduate school in creative writing, which was my dream, and finally I was, you know, in in my program, I was just starting, and I started to get creepy emails from, it seemed, another student there, Um, and right on the back of that, when I came, you know, back back home, because I was in Vermont in college, came back home to Denver, and I was going to teach in a creative writing workshop. And the guy that ran the program there with his wife, he said, you know, uh, we changed our minds. You sent me some creepy emails. Uh, and uh, then, then I knew, because the only person who knew that particular address was my partner. So it all became clear.
1: Wow. And
0: that's when I realized I needed police intervention to get out of there because he wasn't going to let me go easy.
1: Wow. And how did you get out then? Did you call the police right away or did you start building a plan? Well, yeah, I started to build
0: a plan. Um, it was just as if all those subconscious hints and clues that we're always picking up about other people were finally put into play. And I was acting on those fears, you know, and, and, and making a plan using, using my network of friends and family finally to help me out. Because something that sociopaths do, I think the first thing they try to do is to isolate people. Yeah. And, uh, and that sure worked for a while. He, you know, I, he kind of put a wedge between me and my, my parents. Um, so I told the police. And I got my parents involved, and I had people around me who were on my side. So that's that's how that that wheel started to turn, and I got out. And mm. then it was just a series of of uh, no contact orders that were broken over
1: about two years. Wow, oh, that is I'm so uh, in awe and inspired by that because I I know how hard it can be to leave a situation like that, and I've heard from many many people. Who just, you know, you mentioned having a, a a support network, you know, people around you who are helpful and all that, but it's hard because you have these mixed feelings, you know. Were you able to emotionally? Um, obviously, there were there was trauma that had happened. Um, did you feel a sense of relief when the relationship ended?
0: Um, you know, it was ended as sort of a <laughs> a hard word to apply to that particular relationship because once i left you know it took so long for for him to leave me alone so even though i was no longer with him you know i could you know separate and disengage i was still seeing him in court i was still dealing with his phone calls he would try to send me flowers and do all kinds of things, you know. He showed up at my new apartment. Mm. Um, I don't know how he found that out, but you know. So it was. It, it wasn't really an end until he was put into prison. That was when I felt.
1: Done. Wow! Oh my God! So did he? So it sounds like he was basically stalking you. Immediately, did you? Uh, how did it go from he him stalking you to a, a prison situation?
0: it was uh, just a cumulative um series of of no contact violations um and this this is in large part and it hasn't always been this way but legally the situation is so much easier for people who are being stalked because you know each each time that person violates the no contact order it starts a new case against them and it's a criminal case so it's the state against that person so in three different jurisdictions, he had dozens of different cases. So eventually the DA combined them into one felony stalking case. Um, that was enough to get him to uh, to uh have a prison sentence because he just, he he wouldn't get it. He really, he finally took a plea bargain, but then he broke the terms of his pro- probation. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. it was just his own doing, um, but that's, yeah, boy, he was just, uh, we'll say, very stubborn.
1: Yeah, to say the least, my goodness. And it's so fascinating to me that uh, I absolutely see sexuality as such a healing force. And I love that that is what you have experienced. And, and not only that, but have felt so passionate about it that you've taken it, you've passed the torch on and are helping other people. At what point did you start to realize um you know, that kink and BDSM could could bring healing. Is that something that you were already into before uh, the the stalking started? You know, August, it's so
0: fascinating to me. And, um, no, I really wasn't aware of it that much. I would never have ever have, you know, called myself a kinky person before this experience. But it's like when he was in prison and life could go back to normal, I had my degree, you know. I had a great job. Everything was fine again, and yet it wasn't. On the inside, it's like all that trauma and all that fear and all that adrenaline that, that keeps you going through those really scary survival times was just stuck energy in my body. And that's the most powerful energy in the world. That's, that's going to help us survive life or death, fight or flight kind of situation. And so that energy was just stuck inside me. So it wasn't really a conscious process for me to decide to get into kink, but that's, that's where that energy went. And, you know, so I just started to explore. I found a dom. Then I found another dom who really, really took me into a very deep scene, a very deep experience that seemed to me it was finally a big enough container to hold all that energy that I had been dealing with through those years of being with this sociopathic stalking person. Wow. But, okay, finally, now I can, I can get this stuff moving again and get it out of my system.
1: That is amazing. Did it, so did it start with, obviously you had this inclination. Did you start having fantasies about being a submissive? Is that, and then, did you, you know, because before you searched for a partner, um, did it start with imagining?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was just this sort of obsessive, you know, fantasy. And in my memoir, I write about what that was like trying to, you know, be in my, you know, my desk and try to to function. And it was like I couldn't get it out of my mind. <laughs>
1: you know, I love that you. Im- embrace that, and you can tell me if if it was immediate or not, but I think so many people have these fantasies, whether it's about kink and BDSM or or other kinds of uh, sexuality or experiences they want to have, and there can be so much shame around it that makes it kind of fester in something negative in our minds instead of something that could potentially bring healing. Did you embrace the fantasies uh, straight away?
0: You know, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time in shame to be honest with you. And I think that's because, you know, I was sitting in courtrooms, you know, when I went in to have a civil restraining order, put it against this person, you know, he was saying some terrible things about me in a courtroom full of strangers. And my mother was there, you know, and it's just, some of it was, most of it was lies, but some of it was actually stuff that we had done and, and intimate details about me. And there it is in this public sort of platform. So, so the, again, I think that <laughs> the medicine of BDSM and, you know, going into a, a public dungeon, a play, play space with lots of people doing scenes and lots of people doing these, these really crazy kind of new things. It was all new to me. It just kind of felt right. It felt like it was at the same level. So I was, I was pretty numb for a while. And then so that, yeah, the shame was really, if it was in there, was way, way deep down. Thank goodness. I didn't have the (laughs) time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That, that is awesome. That, that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, And so if I understand right, you first were submissive and then became dominant. Could you speak to that transition?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, You know, as a sub, um, I learned a lot from the inside out. What it felt like to to search and find my own territory of consent and what's okay and what's not okay, you know. And and and, and actually to be pushed beyond that too it was there were some really intense things, especially for someone who was so new. I was such a novice. Um, so you know, I got to explore that territory and. And I found that there was a lot for me there, but I, I didn't really meet the right person, I think. And I was, um, so I was still, still looking, still meeting people who identified as, as dominance. And one of them was a, a male dom who had been a professional. Um, and he, we got together, we were sitting around just, just chatting once. And he said, you know what? I think you would be a great dom would you let me train you? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, hell, you know, it beats going to my job and the eight (laughs) to five world, which is not working for me anymore. So there was,
1: (laughs) that is, that is awesome. I love it. Uh, one of my good friends is a, is a dom. And I, I just think it's such a great, you know, when, when it, it's an empowering job for you. I just think what a beautiful way to use your passion and to uh, explore. And I feel like there's there's less taboo around it. There still is some, but less for for everyone, but and for women too. Um So I think when people hear kink and PDSM, they imagine basically whips and chains, and they think of the dom as the person just whipping someone. I think that's kind of a general stereotype. Could you tell us a little bit about what being a dom actually entails? I imagine is it different every time.
0: It is. Um, what I found to be the most fascinating and surprising and wonderful uh, part and parts of it was just the intense sense of presence that I needed to have and that I would very authentically have in these scenes with a submissive person. It was like, you know, you get into these these scenes and, you know, because there's a lot at stake, there's pain there's bondage, there's, there's psychological, um, you know, Humiliation. Yeah. Yeah. Humiliation. There's so many different, different ingredients that can be really kind of scary places, um, you know, in and of themselves, but they're not treated with really a lot of love and kindness and respect. So, you know, from the outside, it's like, oh my gosh, somebody's just getting whipped until they're crying. Well, you know, in in the interaction between the dom and the sub, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of listening. There's a lot of feeling, you know, if if the scene's working. There's just a really intense kind of presence that's so rare in most of our interactions. And uh, that was just a wonderful aspect in doing this work was like, wow, I really get to be in a very interesting place with people that they don't often share with anybody else and hold that space with love, with intention and compassion and and
1: hurt the crap out of them if that's what they want. (laughs) Wow. That is so interesting because I think so many people do think that compassion wouldn't be a word that would, would... Come to mind when they think of BDSM, and as you're explaining it, it makes so much sense that it's about listening and respecting one another and um, growing together. You know, what could you explain, kind of how a scene? You keep mentioning the scene. Is that something that you decide as the dom? Do you just choose one, or is it kind of a a conversation you have with your partner before it all begins?
0: Yeah, it's it's you know a very much a co created. Base, you know, and there's a caveat, it's not like this in every scene with every dom, um, and, you know, maybe we can talk about, well, just briefly, I think the same ingredients that go into that non-consensual power exchange that that keeps sociopaths on the planet and keeps their victims around, too, is are a lot of the same ingredients that you're invoking in a dom and sub. Power exchange relationship that's based on consent. So you know, so we're dealing with a lot of the same ingredients. And so sometimes, you know, even in kink, you know, it's even if it's talks about consensual play and things like that, it's scary territory. Um, but when I was working with clients, you know, I started with a six-page-long list. They're called, and it's like a list of each and everything. To give me a sense of what turns them on and what they're kind of okay with exploring, and what is really just a no no go zone. You know, you can think of it as like these are the green light things, these are the yellows that are maybe we can do some. You know, it's in the maybe territory, and then the stuff that's in the red light don't do it all. And I, you know, I I tried to stay in the green zone a lot especially to build that trust and like we want to have fun and then push into a little bit of the, the yellow territory to explore some some of that comfort zone and see if we can grow it because that's really interesting, profound change is possible there. Um, you know, and yeah, and there's always that the safe word. I always played with the safe word where um, that's the subs, really the ability to guide the scene less with them because they can stop it if they want to.
1: Sure. That's that's fantastic. And I think it sounds very, you know, obviously professional for you, which is important, you know, if people are looking for experiences like this, that they uh, look for these kinds of, of things going into it. What actually does a kink coach do? So the way
0: I work is, you know, I work with people all over the place and just just online. Um, so it's, it's all just... On uh, you know video and conversation, and it's it's about working with my client who isn't necessarily a sub. It doesn't matter, but that's my client who wants to work on manifesting a particular goal. So you know, let's say it's weight loss, or let's say it's it's doing a project that you've been wanting to do for years and keep procrastinating. So we get into the territory of like, what is blocking? Somebody from doing what they really want, you know, what's, what's in there? Because sometimes we have those strategies that keep us, that keep some parts of us thinking that we're gonna be, that's safer. You know, it's, it's kind of scary to go out and start writing that novel or, or changing the way you look. And, uh, you know, so we have these strategies that we don't always know we're doing to keep things the same. And, uh, trying to work with those and then work, work towards, well, you know, what, what do you want? What do you want to make and manifest in this life? So, you know, I'm drawing on some of my, my top skills as far as pushing, you know, into uncomfortable territory. And, you know, and hypnosis too, which, which is this really creative place in our minds where we can visualize, um, visualize just about anything and get used to how it how good it can feel when we start living the way we want.
1: Wow. And how does um, compassionate discipline is a phrase that you've used, how does that play into your work?
0: You know, that's that's a term that I think, you know, it's some coaches, especially for, you know, you think of a retired pro-dom and, oh, they're just going to be a hard-ass and they're just going to bludgeon you into making your goal, like, you know, Just do this stuff, and if you don't, you'll be punished. And that's not really the way I work. There's this, I want, you know, I know that when, if somebody doesn't make their goal, then there's a reason for that. There's something there. So it takes some compassion and some softness to know how to get into what that block is.
1: Mm. I love that concept, and I love that you are, you mentioned uh, writing, I love that you have this memoir. Uh, I wrote a, a book that's part memoir that's coming out later this month, and I know for me it was really cathartic to explore difficult times and, and know that it might reach somebody and, and help them in some way. Did you find the writing to be cathartic?
0: Yeah, yeah, and congratulations on your book, August. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the process is really, you know, it's it's not comfortable. Um it's it's you know, you'd think that it would be easier just to put it in the past and go on, but I feel that well there was there was a lot there and and yeah, to be able to go in with language and convert that experience into some meaning that maybe somebody else can use. It's like that's the whole point. Otherwise, it's just, what is
1: it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. No. I'm right there with you. Absolutely. What do you most hope that readers will get from your story?
0: Um, gosh. You know, I hope that they can see the humanity in people who are kinky, you know, and people who do weird things and you'd never expect it. I mean, my Book is pretty graphic in some of the, and depicting some of the scenes that I went through in my actual clients where I could, you know, change all the details about them. But, you know, a lot of these, uh, these people were veterans or, um, they had had some, some kind of trauma and, uh, you know, like me. So we were all there in this together and I think I, I would hope that the number one takeaway would be like, wow think is pretty normal and there's some really powerful things at work that are in place you know in play in all of us
1: that is a beautiful message i love the the whole idea of because i think so many people do have these fantasies and maybe they won't feel uh ashamed of of moving toward them or like you said accept other people more uh what we're coming up on the holidays, and I'm, I'm curious if you have any suggestions. Say somebody's listening and they're thinking, I really wanted to dip into kink or BDSM. Um, I'm going to share some gift ideas from our uh, resident sex and relationship therapist in, in a moment here. But I wonder, do you have any uh, favorite sexy, sensual, and or kinky gifts?
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, for a while, my I had a dungeon that was, you know, 1500 square feet. It was huge. It was full of toys. But when all is said and done, the, the toy that I started with and the toy that, that is going to go with me to my grave, the, uh, Hitachi magic wand. I mean, that's such a great toy. It's, it's a wonderful massager for just muscles in the back and the body, you know, to be used on anybody and, and so there's that level, and then of course the the clitoral and the whole, you know, genital stimulation on just about anybody is so so wonderfully intense. <clears throat> that and a silk scarf or a blindfold, um, you know, a tie for somebody's hands, then you have all the ingredients to a very fun scene, which um, you can be really creative with. Uh, it really doesn't take much. And, you know, for otherwise, I think the biggest gift that we can give people that we love is quality time and being present with them. So even if you don't go out and spend any money just to spend that quality time together, make a date, that's the best.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. That is is a great tip. Even you could give a little coupon or something, you know, that we're going to spend time together doing something special. I love that. Love that. Um, Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say. I asked her about the sexiest gifts that she has ever received.
2: August, you asked me for my favorite uh, sensual or sexy gift, and I'm like, oh, I can't narrow it to one, so I'm going to give two quickly. Uh, One is older and one is newer. Uh, I think most people out there are aware, and if not, this is what I want to shout out, that the huge value of uh, the sensual massage oils. The first one I tried was from Gingy, uh, Jimmy Jane and it was in the smell of ginger snap, which I, I love and we shall protest them to bring that scent back. But they have a lot of other amazing, um, <coughs> It's called the Afterglow Candle, and they have a lot of other amazing scents. So it's aromatherapy, plus when you burn it, it becomes massage oil. So it really helps you to sort of slow things down with your partner and really sort of move energy and just sort of grow that feeling of connection and uh, central touch and foreplay that I think, and again, there's also a little opportunity for temperature play there, um, which I just think is an amazing product. And the other one that I'm newer to is sort of the wearable, um, it's a wearable vibrator and it's called the Vesper and it is like elegant and it's comes in, uh, like gold or silver. It can even be engraved. Um, and what I love about this is that, and talk about your new book, Embraceable, there's nothing like wearing a vibrator that it's just long, like a a necklace that hangs long and, um, sort of like a long elongated bullet shape. And, um, so, you know, but nobody else knows what it is. It just looks like a beautiful piece of jewelry. And it's kind of like the reverse of when you might go out and not have underwear on and no one knows, like, you know, and you're, you know, fully wearing and embracing your sexuality. And it's just a wonderful reminder of, you know, being playful and being sexual, even when you're not using it as a vibrator. And it has sort of the variable speed. So, Anyway, the Vesper is by Crave, and again, the massage oils come in many different uh, companies, but Jimmy Jane is certainly one that I highly recommend.
1: Okay, I officially want all of that. I have some sensual oils myself from um, Good Clean Love at Home, which I love. They have this Indian spice that's very kind of holiday-y, um, and it's organic. It's great. I think it also has aphrodisiacs in it, which is cool. Um, and I've taken a look at the vibrator necklaces that she mentioned, and I totally agree about their elegance, and I love that idea. That whole, like, sexy secret thing is a huge turn-on. Um, I also asked Dr. Megan what gifts she would recommend uh, for all of you who are kind of interested in really turning... turning... Turning things up this season.
2: So, I'm loving this segment. And now, on to other recommendations for gifts to sort of spice up your sex life. And again, I was really uh, challenged to narrow the field here. Um, But I want to go with what uh, a friend of mine, Roy Lynn, who owns uh, Tristology, which I just love uh, her site because they have a lot of wearables uh, that help you feel sexy in your body, including plus sizes. So, definitely worth checking out. But she's been um, in this business a long time and uh, said that, you know, one of the best-selling couples toy is the Wee Vibe Classic. Um, and it, it seems to amaze me that a lot of people don't yet know about it, but it's very versatile because it can be used both for foreplay, it can be used for lovemaking, and also solo play. And it's important to know that it can also be really – erotic and used um, for seduction or anticipation purposes because it's remote control uh, vibe that so you could go out to dinner or your partner could be traveling and it's sort of Bluetooth enabled. So the idea that your partner could be anywhere and sort of managing your vibe uh, I think offers incredibly sexy opportunities. Um, The other one that i would recommend is something that we don't often hear about because it's actually a product that is more geared toward men and that is the hot octopus pulse and it comes either in the solo two or the duo two so the solos for use on his own um and the duo is something that they can uh, use together and this is a technology that's sort of the guy because it uses oscillations to stimulate your man and so if your partner may have difficulties with arousal or erection, he doesn't even have to be erect to use it, and it can create amazing orgasms. Um, and I think that the way the device also has sort of a remote control so that the woman can be controlling sort of her own sensation um, and vibration that she's getting. So I think it's a couple that if you haven't checked that out, or especially if your partner may in any way have erectile dysfunction, um, it could open a whole new playground. Of erotic um, and sensual touch for you both. And lastly, I think I would just say that I was intrigued by the new Hello Touch eStim. This is a product that I tried on, on um, well, my hand that is, at the Sexual Health Expo. And the Hello Touch both comes in just a vibrator and it's um, that you put on your fingers, or the eStim is sort of the electronic stimulation. And that's just like, for somebody who for me personally isn't um, a huge vibrator fan and we all have to know what our likes and preferences are, the High Electric Stim was like a brave new territory um, that certainly for me, it was erotic at the low, low levels. But still, it was just something really unusual that I'd never sort of felt before. Um, and so if you are at all curious, and I know it can also be um, incorporated into sort of some light BDSM play, um, Checking out the Jimmy Jane Hello Touch Easton might be something you'd be interested to do as well. So I hope these tips or toys might help spice up your holiday season, and uh, I look forward to bringing other products uh, to you as well. I wanted to share also that Roy Lynn, who again owns Tristology, is offering uh, a 15% discount between now and the holidays for anyone using the Girl Boner discount code. So I hope that becomes an incentive for us all to take an opportunity to pick up something new to play and explore this holiday season.
1: How awesome is all of that? I think I need to do a show on guy braiders now. I've never heard that term before, but it made a lot of sense. And I'm interested to check out a lot of the products that she mentioned. Um, again, that website is trystology.com. That's T-R-Y-S-T-ology. And the code is girlboner. Pretty easy to remember, right? Um, thank you so much, Dr. Megan, as always. And to you, Jennifer, for joining me today. Your story is so inspiring. Uh, before I let you go, I wondered if you might have a piece of advice Advice to anyone out there who is feeling really stuck or trapped in a toxic relationship right now?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you're feeling trapped, if you're feeling really stuck and you are having trouble getting out, then you're not alone. And there are resources out there. Um, certainly, if there's any kinds of domestic violence and abuse like that, there's uh, a lot of numbers, you know, 800 numbers, websites, and a lot of communities have uh, an organization in town. Um, you know, it sometimes it, it seems scary to even think about it in those terms. And, and you know, but they are out there. Talk to friends. Talk to family. Be very honest with yourself because, you know, over time it just gets harder. It really does. Um and you're not alone. A lot of people, a lot of women have had these kind of situations. And, uh, you know, I I just feel for you and I wish you the very best.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much. She was such an insightful guest and she's absolutely right. I can't tell you how many women I hear from on a routine basis who are going through difficult times in a relationship, whether it's with a sociopath or somebody who's just not a good you know fit for whatever reason really listening to your instincts and trusting you know that things can get better and like she said knowing that there is support out there for links to Jennifer's websites to learn more about all she does visit the show notes for today at my website augustmclaughlin.com while you're there be sure to check out my blog where I will be sharing more sexy gift ideas I have a whole bunch for y'all uh, if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio I hope you'll subscribe so you never miss a beat we really also appreciate those ratings and simple reviews thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful girl boner embracing week